female folk singer is dead after she was attacked by a pair of coyotes. What is the monkey doing? Tell me what's going on. He ripped her face off! We actually have a trainer in the water with one of our whales. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. Baby Azaria Chamberlain was taken by a dingo back in heard was of a, a surfer in South Africa, an Australian surfer I believe, who was attacked by a great white shark during a surf competition. He luckily made it out of the water in time uh, with minimal injuries I guess, uh, and he's one of the lucky ones. Today we're talking about the not so lucky ones, all of the fatal shark attacks in South Africa in history. Welcome back to Man It Is The Only True Crime Podcast on the internet where all the killers are real animals. Whether it's bitings, scratchings, maulings, or clawings, we're here to talk about it. I'm your host, Jimmy Jimbo. Or as the South Africans would say, uh, it's Jimbo. It's my friend Jimbo. My, fra- my favorite podcast, Man Eaters, and his host's name is Jimbo. Probably a very offensive South African um, accent, but like a white South African. So it's not racist. It's not a racist thing. It's just like, I guess, kind of, you know culturally insensitive Let, let's let's call it that um yes as mentioned in the intro we are looking at a list it's not a list episode this is part one of i probably would say a two-part series um that you will listen to about all the uh, fatal south african shark attacks there is a third part to this series that's already been recorded uh, about all the uh, shark attacks that occurred before the 1940s as well as some shark attacks that are kind of, the victims are kind of unknown we don't kind of really know when they died they just kind of showed up uh, and are presumed to have been killed by sharks um if you want to listen to that episode it's a patreon exclusive you can head over to patreon.com slash man uh support the show that way five bucks a month and you can have access to that episode and a bunch of other early exclusive episodes and a bunch of other stuff which is which is really fun but you know enough of me flogging my own patreon let's get into the episode Uh, Let's start reading the list going from the 1940s all the way to the 1980s, all of the fatal shark attacks in South Africa. South Africa has a significant coastline stretching along both the Atlantic and Indian Oceans, making it a popular destination for beachgoers and water sports enthusiasts. Unfortunately, shark attacks do occur occasionally along the South African coastline, although they remain relatively rare compared to other risks associated with the ocean. One of the most well-known areas for shark attacks in South Africa is the province of KwaZulu-Natal, particularly along the shoreline of Durban. This region has witnessed a number of fatal incidents involving sharks over the years. The primary species responsible for these attacks are the great white shark, which is known to frequent these waters. One of the most infamous In more recent years, South Africa has witnessed a decrease in fatal shark attacks due to improved safety protocols and standards and increased awareness. The country has implemented shark exclusion nets and drum lines in certain areas to minimize the risk of shark encounters. These measures aim to create a safer environment for swimmers and surfers whilst also protecting the marine ecosystem. It's important to note that while shark attacks do occur, they are still relatively rare events considering the number of people who engage in water activities along the South African coastline. The South African Shark Conservatory and other organizations continue to work on studying uh, to understand sharks and to promote a coexistence between humans and these important marine creatures. If you are planning to visit South Africa's coastal areas, it is advised to follow local safety guidelines, to adhere to warnings and flags on beaches, and to take precautions such as swimming in designated areas with lifeguards present. We're starting off our list in the 1940s. Uh, our first uh, victim was an Indian woman, we do not have a name, who died in 1940 uh, at some time. The, the record keeping was not great. Uh, she was killed in an area called uh, Winkle Spruit, I believe that's called, uh, what it's called, in KwaZulu-Natal. 
Um, you know, the, the shark that attacked her was unknown. Like I'm saying, there's not a lot of information about this particular shark attack or about the victim, just an Indian woman. Uh, but we do know that the woman was attacked by a shark. Details are unknown. The next victim, Frederick Aubrey Hooper. They were 17 years old. They died on January 7th, 1940 in Warner Beach in KwaZulu-Natal, another place that we just mentioned. Um, the shark was unknown. Hooper was swimming to shore with two others when he yelled that he saw a shark. At that moment, a shark broke the surface and the water turned red with blood. Someone helped him onto a raft and he was pulled to shore. He was given first aid and an ambulance came about an hour later. He died the next day in hospital. He had bad injuries to his right leg. Mm. Like all the other list episodes, we're probably going to hear some very consistent things um, about each story. Um, the attack, the injuries to the legs is, is kind of common with shark attacks. A lot of times they're um, <clears throat> swimming or surfers, and that's the first thing that gets bitten is the legs because they're lowered down. Um, <clears throat> the next victim occurred just over a month later. Another 17-year-old, Leslie Plummer Lund. Looned, I would say. On February the 22nd, 1940, uh, this person was killed by probably a great white shark, but they're not sure. Um, the attack occurred in Armin Zimtoti, Armin Zimtoti, in KwaZulu Natal. Again, um, Armin Zimtoti. Okay, so there's going to be a lot of South African names. Uh, I, I'm not sure what you would call the dialect. Is it Zulu? Maybe. Um, but yeah, obviously there's a lot of um, African-sounding names. I'm going to do my best with them. Um, Lund was swimming alone when he was attacked by a shark. He was able to reach the beach alone and receive first aid. He was rushed to the hospital but died the next day. He died after a severe bite to his thigh. So again, a bite to the thigh, um, was able to make it to land and uh, died in hospital. It'll be interesting to see when we get our first attack um, where the person doesn't make it out of the water. Um, okay, so my next attack occurred still in 1940, about a month later on March 31st. Joseph Lees was a 25-year-old, uh, and they were killed in Winklespruit uh, in KwaZulu-Natal, which is the same place as the first victim, the Indian woman. He was killed by a great white shark. That shark was confirmed. Lees was swimming with a life-saving group, but was treading water when he was attacked, uh, when he yelled out that he was being attacked. The members of his group quickly pulled him to shore, and he was semi-conscious when he reached the beach. He was taken to a hospital, but was dead on arrival. The next victim almost made it through the rest of the year without a shark attack. Uh, December 20th, 1940. That was the date that Desmond Chandley uh, died. He was 17 as well. Uh, died in Amanzim Toti again in KwaZulu-Natal uh, KwaZulu by an unknown species of shark. Chandley was swimming with friends when a shark bit him. He screamed and quickly swam to shore. He was given first aid and an ambulance was called. He was dead on arrival to the hospital due to blood loss. Chandley suffered multiple injuries to his legs and buttocks. William Johannes Berg was 18 years old. This death was recorded in 1942, November 1st, 1942. There wasn't a recorded death uh, for another you know, two years before this, so either the record keeping wasn't going great in 1941 and most of 1942, or uh, South Africa got very lucky. Um, this person died in, in Clifton, Western Cape Province. It was unconfirmed which shark had killed him, but probably a great white shark was the species responsible. Berg was swimming with his friends. He'd only swum a few strokes when a shark grabbed him by the shoulder and thrusted him out of the air. Wow, that's brutal. Berg was able to free himself and start swimming again, but the shark grabbed him again by the torso and blood shot up in the air. He was then pulled under the surface. He resurfaced, but then got pulled under again. Witnesses claimed they saw the shark swim out to sea with the body. A, a witness estimated the shark to be 17 feet long. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, easily the most gory uh, story we've had so far. I'm sure that we will get um, yeah, a bit more bloody as we go on. I will mention as well, we, we do have access to... Um, uh, you know, sources for these deaths. Um, oftentimes they link to news articles. We will probably wait until we're a little bit closer into recent history till we read them. Um, but if, if anything strikes out as really interesting, we will click on that and we will see what it has to say. We might read the news articles of the time. Um, the next victim was on March 21st in 1943. So again, another, you know, roughly three or four month gap here. Um, the victim this time was a 31 year old named Eric Ridley. He died in Durban, KwaZulu-Natal, uh, by an unknown species of shark. Ridley was swimming with a friend when he shouted for help. 
After difficulty, lifesavers pulled him to the beach, but he was unconscious. He died en route to the hospital. He had a bite on his thigh and both calves. James Crawford Matthews, 17 years old, was the next victim. He died in December 12th of 1943 in Amazimtoti. I've already said that word. Amazimtoti, KwaZulu-Natal. But again, by an unknown shark. Obviously, um, marine animal attacks are harder to identify um, because it, you can't see them. <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they sneak up, they're ambush predators, and they basically pull you under. And uh, a, a lot of times, um, yeah, you, you, you don't get to see them. Um, it's also hard. I know a lot of sharks with their um, bite marks, because they're so savage, it's really hard to identify from that as well. And when you do get a nice clean bite, oftentimes that is what can tell you this, what shark it was. If it's a really big bite, you could assume great white shark. Um, but then when you get to smaller bites, it could be a smaller great white shark or it could be a tiger shark or a you know, a, a bull shark, for example. Well, I'm not 100% sure what species of sharks live in the Cape of South Africa, but we will have a look. Um, Matthews was body surfing uh, when, he, when he yelled out a shark had bit him. His companions took him to shore. He was taken to hospital but died shortly afterwards. He had a severe light, uh, bite on his upper right leg. Yeah, of course, um, yeah, bite on the leg. That's pretty terrible. Uh, blood loss is kind of what's really getting these guys. Um, Ronald Joel Selby, 26 years old, died on January 4th, 1944, uh, Durban, KwaZulu-Natal, um, by, again, an unknown species of shark. Selby was swimming with his brother when he yelled out that he'd been bitten by a shark. His brother and another person pulled him to shore. He was taken to hospital but died a few days later, so he hung on for a little bit. Anthony Bunn. 22 years old. He died on January 20th, 1944. So only 16 days after uh, Ronald Joel Selby. Again in Durban, KwaZulu-Natal. Again, an unknown shark. Uh, Bun was body surfing with a friend when he'd seemed to struggle in the water. He started to swim to shore but collapsed on the way there. His friend brought him the rest of the way to the beach. He was taken to the hospital but he died from blood loss after his femoral artery was severed. Jesus. Um, the next victim, March 26th, 1944 couple months afterwards. His name was Jeffrey Best. He was a 23-year-old, uh, attacked by an unknown shark in Durban, KwaZulu-Natal. Best was standing in North Beach when lifesavers saw him struggling in the water with blood around him. Lifesavers pulled him to the shore. He was taken to shore, but he died. Albert Schmidt, 17 years old. He died in Mossel Bay, Western Cape Province, by a shark that's unconfirmed, but most likely was a great white shark, and he died on July 22nd, 1944. Witnesses saw a shark next to Schmidt and help, and sorry, and held, heard him yell for help. He disappeared under the water, and the water turned red with blood. Despite looking, his body was never recovered. Our last victim in the 1940s, Dennis Nissen, 19 years old. He died on August 20th, 1944, in Marguerite, KwaZulu-Natal by an unknown species of shark. Nissen was swimming when the shark grabbed him by the leg. He screamed and then disappeared under the surface. They never found his body. We're going to move on now briskly to the 1950s. Our first victim in the 1950s, well, we only made it, you know, one month and 11 days. February, February 11th, 1950 was the date of the first death in that decade. Clive Heath Gordon Lewis uh, Dumain, which is quite a long name. Five names, man. Wow. He must have been important. Um, died in Durban, KwaZulu-Natal by a great white shark. That is confirmed. Dumain was body surfing with friends when a shark's fin broke the surface and pulled him under the water. He surfaced once again, screamed, and got pulled under again. His body was never recovered. His friends identified the shark as a great white shark, about 12 feet long, weighing 1,400 pounds. That of course has to be an estimate. I don't know how you would visually tell how, how heavy something is, um, but we'll have to go with that. Brian Von Berg. 20 years old. He died on March 8th, 1950, so less than a month later. Durban, KwaZulu-Natal was the location. The shark was unknown. Von Berg was doing a life-saving drill when he disappeared. He swam out to sea to act as a life-saving dummy. He then started to wave his arms and, and shout. Someone swam out to him and called out his name, but he didn't respond. He appeared to be unconscious uh, with the water up to his nose. Then he sank. Again, this victim's body was never recovered. It's presumed he was taken by a shark. He, uh, now, this person's name, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce, and I'm sure there'll be a few of those. Um, 
Hendry Nikwazi. I'm going to think that's that sounds probably right. Hendry Nikwazi. Uh, he was 19 years old, unfortunately, and he died in 1951 on January 21st uh, in Native Bathing Beach, KwaZulu Natal. Uh, the shark was unknown. Uh, Nikwazi was swimming with his two brothers when he screamed. By the time he was pulled ashore, he was dead. He died from a massive bite on his right leg. The next victim, we don't know his name. He's identified just as Zulu Man. Uh, on January 15th, 1955. St. Lucia Bay, KwaZulu-Natal. Unconfirmed what shark it was, but it was likely a bull shark. That's interesting. First uh, shark on our list that's not a great white shark, a bull shark. This unidentified man was killed while swimming across a bay. He bled to death after getting a severe bite on his leg. The next victim's name was Sidney Victor Williams. And unfortunately, he's the youngest person on our list so far. He died at the age of 12. On January 5th, 1957, in Umgenti, uh, I'm going to assume this is Umgenti River, Umgenti River Mouth in KwaZulu-Natal, uh, unknown what kind of shark killed him. Williams was walking towards the shore with his brother when he threw his arms up and disappeared under the water. His shark-bitten body was recovered the next day. Wow, that is very sad. Jesus. Um, <clears throat> Alan Green was the next victim. He died at 15, another teenager who was taken December 20th, 1957 in Uvongo, KwaZulu-Natal. Green was swimming when he was attacked by an unknown shark. He died from his blood loss after being brought to shore. His injury was a severe bite to his chest and right arm. Vernon James Berry, 23 years old, at least not a child this time, uh, died in Margrave, KwaZulu-Natal, by a great white shark attacking him on December 23rd, 1957. Berry was swimming in a lagoon when a shark attacked him. He was still conscious when he was pulled to shore, but quickly lost consciousness. He died en route to the hospital. His injuries were a bite on the waist, bites up all of his right arm, and a severed left hand. Jeez, that's, that's a lot. The next victim, again, is an unknown person. He was a young Zulu man. That's all we know about him. He died around 1958, but the exact date is unknown. In uh, Kakatana. Is that Kakatana? Kakatana. Oh, my God. Make your names easier for me to say. Kakatana River. Uh, He died from an unknown shark, but again, likely bull shark. This young man was walking into the river to fish. A shark severely bit his left leg, severing it just above the knee. He died from the injury sustained by the bite. Jesus Christ. That's brutal. Um... We still have four more people in the 1950s, even though we are already up to 1958. So the end of the 1950s was quite bloody in uh, in the waters of South Africa. Derek Garth Prinsloo, 42 years old. He died on January 9th, 1958 in Scottsburg. Uh, now, we're not sure what animal, uh, what, what shark killed him. It was either a dusky or a tiger shark or a great white shark. Prinsloo was swimming when a shark bit him, removing a lot from his right thigh and shoving him out of the water. Prinsloo fell into the water and the shark bit him again, this time nearly severing his left leg. He quickly uh, pulled. He was quickly pulled to shore and given first aid, but he uh, was unconscious when they put him in an ambulance. He died en route to the hospital. Uh, Nicolas, Nicolas, with two A's, Nicolas Francois Badenhorst, uh, died on April 3rd, 1958, in Port Edward uh, by a great white shark attack. Uh, Badenhorst was swimming with his brothers when he yelled, Shark! And the water turned red with his blood. He tried to fight off the shark. A lifesaver grabbed Badenhorst, shoved the shark away, and took him to shore. However, he was dead by the time they reached the beach. He suffered bites on his right leg, right torso, a severed right arm at the elbow, and a severed left arm at the shoulder. Wow, that is a lot. The species involved was to believe to be a white shark about 13 feet in length. Um, I think this might be one of the um, ones where we have to look up the source because that is such a brutal um, death. Am I going to be able to find it? Uh, interesting. Okay, so it's linked me to, it looks like uh, a, PN, a PDF file. Um, it looks like some sort of police, yeah, a police report or a coroner's report it looks like. This is really a really cool resource. Okay, so what I'm looking at is three pages. The first page has all the information on the day. Um, we might get really in depth on this one. Uh, yeah, okay. 
in Port Edward. Port Edward looks to be one of the most southern beaches in uh, KwaZulu, which is uh, Kwa- so KwaZulu Natal um, is basically the south south coast of South Africa. It looks like, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, Port Edward seems to be one of the most southern beaches in this area. Um, yeah, this looks like it's a coroner's report. Um, the location, the attack occurred at Port Edward. Uh, a resort 158 kilometers southwest of Durban on the KwaZulu-Natal coast of South Africa. Um, yeah, interesting. They have so much information here. The moon phase, the sea conditions, the environment, distance from the shore. He was 20 meters offshore, apparently, at a depth of 1.5 or 1.2 meters, uh, and the time was 1.30 p.m. This is a fantastic resource. Wow. Um, we have information on the coroner's report on, on the injury. So it says, Barton Horst's left arm was severed at the shoulder. His right arm was severed above the elbow. His abdomen and right leg were mauled. A coroner's inquest was held at uh, Peter Maritzburg, RG, RGJ uh, Gelenhuis, returned with a verdict of death due to shock and hemorrhage due to multiple injuries. Barton Horst was buried in uh, Maritzburg on April 9th. Species involved. From 1978 to 1987, the Natal Sharks Board caught 26 uh, great white sharks in their nets at Port Edward, and even more were caught at uh, Mzamba, the net installation immediately south of Port Edward. This, together with the nature of the injuries, particularly the severance of the humerus, uh, the witnesses' reports that the shark was 3 to uh, 4.5 metres in length suggest the incident involved a great white shark. Wow. Interesting. We we do have um, some uh, news articles, like very old clips from some newspapers here from the 9th of April, 1958. Um, I'm going to read you what these say. So the first one is a very small one. It's uh, shark victim buried. Okay. Uh, in Johannesburg, Tuesday, about 200 relations and friends attended the funeral service in Narisburg today of Mr. Nicholas Bardenhorst, the 29-year-old Rudenport man who was killed by a shark at Port Edward last Thursday. Among the mourners were his widow, Helena, his two children, Henny, five years old, and Nicolene, two years old, and other members of the family. That's one of the uh, articles. The other one, um, the headline says, Shark Victim's Father Seeks Native. Let's read this one. Johannesburg Friday. Mr. H.J. Badenhorst, father of the 29-year-old Nicholas Badenhorst, who was killed by a shark last week at Port Edward, is trying to trace the native who attempted to save his son's life. Mr. Badenhorst said, We... Should I do the accent? Probably. <laughs> it's probably not, not in good taste to do the accent. I'll try and do it good. We are determined to contact this native, whose name is believed to be Zephyr Mexico. He's a grey-haired and fairly old, I believe. My family and I have been too distraught to do anything about it until now. The native waded into the seas and fought the shark and then dragged my son away from its jaws, carried the body from the water. He must have known that by attempting to rescue my son, he was running a grave risk to himself. It is very important that we trace this brave man. I would like to appeal to all the people of Port Edward who have helped us so, so much already and to help us again. Somebody there must have heard of this native and must know. Will they please connect me, he said. Apart from the native, said Mr. Bardenhorst, I would like to thank uh, thank <laughs> I would like to thank the press, all the thousands of people throughout South Africa, especially in the Port Edward area and our hometown of Marisburg, for their generosity. Uh, yeah, wow. Okay, interesting. I hope that accent wasn't offensive. I was trying not to um, make light of that that article. This is a fantastic resource, but we'll we'll move on to the next attack. Um, I'll see if, well, I'll link the list and you can find all these resources linked in that list. Um, let's move on. So the next uh, death, we've got two more in the 1950s. Faye Jones Bester, a 28-year-old, died on April 5th, 1958 in Uvongo, KwaZulu-Natal. Um, from now on, I'm going to assume it's the south coast, uh, KwaZulu-Natal, which is the south coast of South Africa. If it's not, I'm going to tell you what it is. But from now on, I'm not going to say that it's KwaZulu-Natal because I've had it. I've said, I've said it like 15 times. Okay, the great white shark was the uh, was the aggressor in this situation. Besta was in a shallow water when a shark rushed at her. The shark knocked her off her feet, and the water turned red. The shark grabbed Besta's waist and shook its head. The attack only lasted a few seconds, but by the time the witnesses were able to pull her ashore, she was dead. 
Her left leg was nearly severed. Her abdomen was severely bitten. The witnesses have a description of a white shark about three meters in length. That one's very unique because it's in, in uh, shallow water. And you don't really typically think of, of great white sharks having the capability to be in uh, shallow water, but I guess they do. The final death um, in the 1950s was a 14-year-old named Barry Gildenhuis, uh, named, or Gildenhuis, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, Gildenhuis, um, he died in Mel Bay on the Western Cape uh, on December 13th, 1958, by an unknown species of shark. Gildenhuis was swimming when he disappeared. No one witnessed the attack, but a human foot washed up several weeks later. My God. Many authorities believe this to be Gildenhuis, as no one else was reported missing in the area. Uh, I know we just we just clicked a, a link, but I think I'm going to have to look at this. Sharkattackfile.net. I believe that's where we're getting all these fantastic coroner's reports. Um, okay, so just to be clear, this is not a coroner's report. It's a, it's a uh, breakdown from sharkattackfile.net, which seems to be a fantastic resource. So shout out to them. Um, I'm going to tell you what is here. So the narrative, okay. Barry Gellenhuis, his sister Marieth, and Johan Leroux spent the morning swimming off the beach. At about, about 1100 hours, that's 11 a.m., Marieth returned home, but Barry and Johan remained in the water. Barry seemed to be moving farther offshore than Johan and took no notice when he started to shout to come on back. Later, Johan went home, assuming Barry would return home on his own, but he was never seen alive again. When the boy reported was reported missing, the police said, it is difficult to believe that Barry could not could have got to the difficult got into difficulties in the water. Bathing at Malkba is almost 100% safe. We are searching the beach and town for him. The injuries fatal. No shit. Local historian Gordon Wilson reported that Barry was seen to be taken by a large shark. Barry's body was never recovered, but on January 4th, 1959, a human foot washed ashore at Swat Clipped a 16 kilometers from the, uh, from the Strand, and was sent to the government pathologist in Cape Town. Police presumed that the foot was Barry's. No one else has been reported missing in this area, and they resumed their investigation. Interesting. We do have some um, news articles from 1959. Uh, they are quite hard to read. They are scans. I will do what I can. Um, okay. The headline says, Strand shark attacks give police idea on missing schoolboy. A shark attack on Fanny Schrader, a shark attack on Fanny Schrader, an 18-year-old Bellevue schoolboy at Milk Bay Beach yesterday afternoon, has set the police and fishermen of the Strand thinking that a shark might also have attacked Barry Gildenhuis, 14 years old, who disappeared suddenly while swimming at the same spot on December 23rd. A human foot was found at Swatclip, 10 miles from the Strand, on January 4th, and a policeman at the Strand said. Uh, today that it was presumed to be the foot of Barry's. No one else has been reported missing in the area, he said. The foot has been sent to the government pathologist at Cape Town and we are continuing investigations. The attack on Fanny Schroeder took place uh, in the shallow water about 4.15pm in front of the public convenience at the intersection of Beach Road and Burnham Road, about a mile to the Strand Pavilion. The rest of the article is just in, uh, information on the injury that Fanny got, but since it's not fatal, we're not going to include it on our list today. There is another article here. Um, no, no, it's this is just, again, yeah, interesting. Okay, this, it's just a copy of the same report from a different paper, but it's the exact same wording, pretty much. Um, yeah, so it seems like that the boy, Barry Gildenhuis, who died, um, yeah, it seems like he wasn't um, reported about much. It, it only sort of came out when another girl was attacked, um, you know, a few weeks later that they might have been connected. Interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. We're diving into the 1960s, man. Groovy. Okay. Groovy, groovy, groovy. The first death occurred on December 24th of 1960. You nearly made it a whole year in without a death. Serene Petrus Sitol. I nearly misread her last name, and I'm glad I didn't. 25 years old, died at Marguerite on the south coast by a great white shark attack. Sithole. <sighs> I'm sorry, it's an objectively funny looking name. Um, Sithole. <laughs> sorry. Sithole was swimming when, she sudden, when he suddenly screamed and got shoved out of the water by something. He then went limp. As he was floating to the shore, somebody grabbed his body. 
Sithold died before reaching the beach. His right leg was severed below the knee, and his left leg was severed at the thigh. Jeffrey Sithold, 14 years old, died on February 1st of 1961 at Nahoon Beach in the Eastern Cape Province. The species was unknown, but it's speculated to be a bull, a great white, or even a mako shark. Zimmerman was swimming when a shark grabbed his leg. He fought off the shark, the water turning red with blood. His friends pulled him to shore and he received first aid. He was put into an ambulance but died on the arrival to the hospital. He died after sustaining several bites to both legs. Reese F. Nielsen, 13 years old, he was the next victim. He died in Winklespruit on the south coast on February 5th, only four... Oh no, it's a year later, 1962. So almost a year and four days later. Um, the unknown, uh, the, the, the species is unknown. Experts are divided between bull shark, white shark, or tiger shark. Nielsen was treading water, waiting, to, uh, waiting for a wave to body surf on with friends when he shouted he was being attacked by a shark. The shark then shook him, but he was unable. To, but he was able to fight the shark off, and a friend pulled him to shore, but he lost consciousness before he reached the shore. He died within three minutes of reaching the shore. Most of the tissue from his thigh to his knee was removed. Can you imagine how incredibly painful it is? It's not surprising these people are, dying, uh, are losing consciousness from the water to the shore. If not from blood loss, from pain. You would just, you would be in so much goddamn pain. You would just, your brain would shut you down. So you didn't have to experience it like that. That's insane. Um, the next victim's name was Clifford Hugvorst, and I believe I'm not pronouncing that right. He died from a bull shark attack. So this is probably the first confirmed bull shark attack. On February 7th, 1962, he was 22 years old in Winklespruit on the south coast. Hugvorst was uh, on his back swimming to shore, so probably doing a backstroke. By the time he reached the beach, he was too weak to pull himself from the water. His friend pulled him out. Hugvorst was breathing when he was pulled ashore, but then he passed out while being given first aid. They were unable to retrieve him. He had a severe bite on his right calf. Uh, the next person who died was a 15-year-old, very sadly. Uh, her, their name was uh, Matanguza uh, Mziz. 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 Again, apologies if I'm mispronouncing some of these uh, traditional African names. I'm not great with them, but I'm doing my best. Uh, Matan, Matan, Matanguza Mziz um, died from a bull shark attack in Umvoti on the south coast on December 20th, 1963. Uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's M-Z-I-Z-E. Mziz. Mziz? Yeah. Mziz was playing in the surf with friends when a shark bit his calf. He fell down and the shark severed his arm below the elbow. It then bit his chest and abdomen. His body washed ashore, but by then he was dead. December 25th, 1963 was the next death. And it's actually the last death in the 1960s that's recorded in this list. Chester Graham Win uh, Wynand, 18 years old, uh, on uh, Gonubi Beach, Gonubi Beach, I would say that's probably Gonubi Beach, Eastern Cape, by an unknown species of shark. Uh, Wynand, his sister, and two other swimmers saw a shark. A lifesaver was able to get three of the swimmers to the beach, but Wynand was still in the water. A lifesaver threw Wynand a, a lifeline. Sorry, and uh, started to pull him out, but he disappeared. Wynan's body washed up the next day. His body was covered in shark bites. His cause of death was ruled as a shark attack, and I think that's fair. Okay, we are diving on in now to the 1970s, our second last decade that we're going to look at, uh, the 1970s. Uh, did they say groovy as well? I don't know. Groovy. We'll say groovy. East, uh, e <laughs> I nearly said Ethan Klein. It's not him. I would, be, I would make a whole episode if Ethan got eaten by a shark. Um, Theo Klein <laughs> died on April 11th, 1971 in Buffalo's Bay, Western Cape Province from a great white shark attack. Witnesses heard Klein yell shark and start to swim ashore, but he lost consciousness. Surfers went out to help him, but after they realized the shark was in the water, they paddled back to shore. The shark then continued to feed on the body. They later recovered the body. Jacob Nokomo, 20 years old, died on January 1st, 1972, and at St. George's Strand, Eastern Cape Province, by an unknown shark. Uh, Nokomo was swimming with his brothers when he disappeared. His body was later found. His body was so badly bitten by sharks that it was impossible to tell if he drowned first or was attacked. I find that the stories of, um, yeah, the stories of, like, 
the body disappearing and then being found. I don't know why they fucking freaked me out so much more than just like finding the body directly after. I don't know. It's the unknown of what happened in the time. Uh, the next victim, we, we don't have an identity on this person. He's an unknown man attacked by an unknown shark in Mission Rocks on the South Coast, September 29th, uh, 1973. All we know is that he's a crewman of the Allen S, which was a ship. This identified, unidentified man was being pulled to shore after the wreck of the Allen S. He was holding onto a rope when a shark pulled him underwater. The shark-bitten body washed ashore later. Um, this person we don't have a full name for. Mr. Uh, Mr. Kupasami. Kupasami. Uh, on October 21st, 1978, uh, died in St. Lucia Estuary. An estuary, that's interesting. Uh, on the south coast by a tiger shark. So that's our first confirmed tiger shark as well. Uh, Kapsumi was fishing uh, with his nephew. At night, his nephew went to cook dinner while Kapas... Uh, uh, I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, Kapasami, sorry, Kapasami, was still fishing. However, he failed to return home. The next day, his nephew reported this, and officials soon started searching the area. Uh, at a fishing spot, they found signs of a struggle. Campers in the area also reported that they heard screams the night he disappeared. Later, his body was found covered in shark bites. It's unknown if those shark bites were inflicted before or after his death. Philip Steenkamp, 23 years old, was the second last person to die in the 1970s. He died on December 12, 1978, in Sodswana on the south coast by a great white shark. Confirmed great white shark. Steenkamp was spearfishing with a friend when a shark grabbed him by the legs and started thrashing him around. His friend shot the shark with a spear gun and the shark swam off. His friend then pulled him to shore, but he bled to death before reaching the beach. The shark's single bite severed both arteries in his thighs. The shark involved was a white shark, about 7.5 feet long and weighing upwards of 450 pounds. As we get uh, more recent and more recent, we get more information on these attacks, obviously. Um, the, re the recording, um, you know, the reporting and recording of these injuries are uh, better kept. The last death in the 1970s, and I'm also going to say, I think we're going to leave the episode here at the 1970s so we have some more to cover for the next episode because we've been going for over half an hour. Um, it's Alan Simmons, May 3rd, 1979, in Mabibi. Uh, on the south coast by an unknown shark. Simmons was part of a scuba diving class. They planned to snorkel out to where they planned to dive. However, when the rest of the group reached the location, they noticed Simmons was missing. God, this is scary already. I hate this. Oh, fuck. Imagine just someone in your group goes missing on a scuba... Oh, ugh, I hate it. When the group failed to find him, an official search started. Six days after the attack, part of the wetsuit was found showing marks of a shark biting it. Assuming the person was wearing the wetsuit, uh, assuming the person wearing the wetsuit was alive at the time of the shark bites, it would have resulted in death. However, it is unknown if Simmons was alive at the time of the bites, or if he was, or if he was even in the wetsuit. The body of Simmons was never found. That's an interesting one. Um, potentially drowned and then was eaten by a shark, or not. But either way, it's been recorded as a fatality from a shark bite. Um, I'm going to leave it there so that we have five whole decades for our second part. I think that um, we spent a lot of time going over this very in-depth stuff from um, Shark Attack Net. What was it? Um, SharkAttackFile.net, which seems to be the, the the source for most of these attacks. Um, which is turning out to be a really fantastic resource. So I want to thank whoever is in charge of that. And uh, you should listen to our show. You'd like it. Um, uh, yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. So um, yeah. Let's, let's take a little break and we will come back with some more of our show. And we are back. Did you hear any ads? I don't know if we had any ads. If we had any ads, would you please buy whatever they told you to buy? Can you please be a good capitalist for once? God, what's wrong with you? While you think about what you've done or what you haven't done, okay? Let's move into another segment of the show. We're, of course, talking about the scratch of the day. course, the segment where we look at the news articles that have happened in the week, animal attacks, animal-human confrontation, anything to do with our cutest, cuddly friends or our scary, bariest animals, um, and we're going to talk about them. As always, I read the stories live with you. I found a few interesting stories, um, and we're going to go through them. We have a story about a person attacked by a zoo animal, a story about a person who lost his arm in an alligator attack, and an alpaca who was mysteriously killed by an unknown animal. Let's start with the probably the saddest one first let's go sad to happy 
if that's even possible with this show. And uh, we'll talk about this one. So uh, this is World News from Seven News, which is an Australian uh, news site. Jordan lost his arm in a Florida alligator attack. He says, it's not the end of the world. That's a very, um, yeah, a very good way to look at it. Uh, I don't know if I'd look at it that way. The 27, uh, sorry, the 23-year-old was enjoying a night at a bar when he went out back to avoid the toilet queue and his life changed forever. This is interesting. He's not even in the water. A US man whose right arm was bitten off by a 10-foot or 3-meter alligator has brushed off losing a limb in the attack, saying, it's not the end of the world. Jordan Rivera, 23, fell into a pond behind Bandito's Bar in Florida's Port Charlotte on Sunday at about 2 a.m. Rivera is recovering from the attack at the Gulf Coast Medical Center. I didn't want to lose my life. I lost an arm. It's not the end of the world, he says. Wow. Those gators. I didn't truly understand them until I woke up in the hospital and, oh, gator got your arm. Rivera has partially lost his right arm. They got my elbow, he says. So I don't have that elbow. So I don't have an elbow. <laughs> I can still move my arm around and whatnot. Paramedics responded to an alligator attack at about 1.40 a.m. A spokesperson for Charlotte County Fire and EMS said, The responding crew treated a male patient who had an above-the-elbow amputation of his right upper right extremity. Bystanders applied a tourniquet to the patient before we arrived, and the patient was airlifted to Gulf Coast Medical Center in Fort Myers. The alligator involved in the attack has been located and removed. It was... It measured nearly 10 and a half feet, which is three meters, which is very big, and was euthanized, according to the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission. Rivera says that he doesn't remember the attack itself, but recalls going out the back because the line to the bar's bathroom was long, and he needed to relieve himself. As I was going over there, something happened where I either tripped or the ground below me just went down, he said. I ended up in the water, and that's literally the last thing I remember. He then awoke in a hospital, disoriented and in shock. His immediate response was confusion. I was like, whoa, he said, because I just woke up and I was just sitting there. And I looked over and I saw my arm the way it was and I was like, whoa. It kind of feels like my arm is there, but it's not there. Rivera's mother, Teresa Lesser, said she's thankful her son is alive. That's the best thing, is that I have him, she said. Yes, my arm is gone, it's very tragic, but he's here. What happened to him, Rivera said, it's almost out of a movie. He's beholden to the people who rushed to his aid and applied a tourniquet, he says. Lesser praised the good Samaritans who helped save her son's life. I call them angels that were there, that saved his life, she said. The chance of someone being there with a tourniquet to me, that's a miracle that he's there. There you go. Interesting story out of Florida. Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel bad for the guy, but it seems that he has a good attitude and obviously it could have been worse. Um, okay, let's talk about a terrifying moment. A woman and a child are attacked by a wild zoo animal. A regular trip to the zoo almost turned deadly for a mother and a child when they were targeted by a deer, which knocked them to the ground before attacking them. A passerby captured the horrific incident on video before sharing it on social media, which shows the animal aggressively attacking the woman, appearing to use its head to push her off balance. The footage begins by showing, uh, sorry, by showing the young deer on a rampage, suddenly attacking the child before her mother jumps in to protect her. The terrifying incident took place in a forest wildlife park near the city of Nantong, Shenzhou province in China. The woman is seen lying on the grass as others stood by and watched on in horror. Some passers-by are seen attempting to intervene as the attack of the animal continues. Another, oh wow, I'm looking at the video here. It's really, this deer is like, it's, it is, um... It's determined to get this woman, wow. Another woman, wearing black, appears to wrestle with the animal, grabbing it by the head and pulling it away from the victim. Suddenly, one of the people helping the woman pulls out a child from her embrace during a moment of respite from the animal's attack. As the footage ends, the woman who is wrestling the animal pushes it away from the initial victim. It is seen angrily raising its front legs, knocking down a white bag from the woman before calming down. Internet users were quick to commend the woman in black for her bravery and selfless acts in preventing the animal from causing further injuries. There you go. That's, I mean, that's at least that's a happy ending sort of thing. Okay, uh, last story today. A mystery animal has been attacking alpacas at a stud farm in Belgrave Heights. Um, the article says, Two alpacas at a Belgrave Heights stud farm have been mauled in an animal attack earlier this month by an unknown creature. 
Oravale Alpaca's owner, Linda Holsworth, says that some of her stock were attacked and killed by the animal between 6am and 8am on Saturday 13th of May. It had a small, medium reddish-brown hair. It was a healer-type dog, she said. Ms. Holsworth said it became apparent the animal had been on other parts of the property as well. We had three young alpacas with two adults. It killed one and badly injured the other, which later died that day, she said. Ms. Holdsworth said that they could see marks on the grass where something had come in and left the property. It was one of our smaller and younger ones that died and had been disemboweled, she said. Ms. Holdsworth said uh, that one had been caught that, that one had caught sorry, that one had been caught alpaca and had massive wounds on the young alpaca. What the fuck? Let me read this again. Miss Holdsworth said that one had been caught alpaca. <laughs> this is badly written. And had a massive wound, and the young alpaca unfortunately died later. Uh, that day while it was being stitched up by the vet. Ms. Holdsworth said that she reported the incident to the Yarra Rangers Council and the Department of Energy, Environment and Climate Action. It's significantly emotional. We were quite upset about the loss of two defenseless animals, the woman said. A Department of Energy, Environment and Climate Action spokesman said that a wild dog control staff routinely respond to wild dog activities in the Dandenong regions. Um, I'm, re I'm realizing this is an Australian story. I thought this was in America. This is an Australian story. Senior wild dog controllers are aware of the incident at the Oravel Apaca Farm and have spoken with the landowners, the person said. Photos taken by a neighborhood, uh, sorry, by a neighbor show an unknown dog in the area. It is not known if this dog was there, was involved with this instance, or if it is a wild or domestic animal. The primary aim of the Victorian Wild Dog Management Program is to minimize the killing and maiming of wild stock caused by wild dog attacks. Senior staff will be conducting surveillance activities to determine the dog's presence, pathways, and see if there are indications that it is a wild or domestic dog, the spokesperson said. Yarra Rangers Council Director of Communities, Jane Price, said the most commonly reported places based on investigating officer experiences are in public areas and public parks and neighborhood streets that are a large portion of attacks that occur as a result of a dog being at large, meaning the dog has escaped from its property. Ms. Holdsworth is now spending money trying to secure their 20-acre property, fencing it and making it more animal-proof as advised by the wild dog controller and said there is an ongoing worry that animal or other animals might come back. He suggested they don't, they don't jump, rather that they go through or under a fence, she said. Miss Holdsworth said she urges dog owners to keep their dogs contained and that it is concerned and sorry and is concerned that wild dogs will cause potentially more issues in the future. Yeah. There you go. I never really think about the issue that um, people like farmers would have with, with wild dogs or even domesticated dogs that are getting out. But it is, you know, I mean I guess it's sad that she's lost a couple of her, her alpacas. Yeah, interesting. This is in Victoria, which is the state below my state. Um so yeah, more close to home than I was expecting. I have five minutes left and I'm going to spend those five minutes giving you a beastly biography. Um, we're going to do a power run here because I do have to get out of here in a few minutes. Um, this one was suggested by a friend of the program named Ben. Um, ben has asked for me to talk about the Black Mamba, uh, a famous snake probably made most famous from the Kill Bill movies. The Black Mamba is a species of highly venomous snake belonging to the family um, El Padae. <laughs> it is native to parts of Sub-Saharan Africa. It is the second longest venomous snake in the world after the King Cobra. Despite its reputation as a formidable and highly aggressive species, the Black Mamba attacks humans only if threatened or cornered, or if put in a uh, briefcase full of money in a trailer. That's a, that's a nice little Kill Bill reference for you. The population size of this uh, particular species of snake is unknown. There could be millions, there could be four. Probably not four, there's probably hundreds of thousands. Um, the snake can live up to 11 years long. Its top speed on the ground is 16 kilometers per hour. It weighs about two kilograms, which could be heavy for a snake, and it can uh, uh, be up to two to three meters in length. Um, black mambas have a coffin-shaped head with a somewhat pronounced brow ridge and medium-sized eye. These snakes vary considerably in color, including olive, yellowish-brown, khaki, gunmetal, but are rarely actually black. The scales of some individuals may have a purplish sheen. Black mambas have grayish-white underbellies, and the inside of their mouth is a dark bluish-gray to nearly black. Mamba eyes range between grayish-brown to shades of black. The pupil is surrounded by a silvery-white or yellow color. Juvenile snakes are lighter in color than adults. These typically are gray or olive-green and darken as they age. 
uh, the countries which you will find black mambas are all the sub-Saharan African countries, basically Angola, Botswana, Central African Republic, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Etria, uh, um, Ethiopia, Kenya, Malawi, Mozambique, Nambia, Somalia, South Africa, Tanzania, Uganda, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. Um, well, let's find out about their food. Oh, their diet and nutrition. Black mambas are carnivores and prey mostly on small vertebrates such as birds, particularly nestlings and fledglings. Small mammals such as rodents, bats, hyraxes, and bush babies. What's that? That sounds cute, a little bush baby. They generally prefer warm-blooded prey, but will also consume other snakes. There you go. Uh, are there any fun facts? There's none. Oh well, never mind. <laughs> That's a quick. I'm, I'm sorry for powering through. I have to go. I'm running late. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of Man Eaters. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week with part two of our South African shark attack series. Um, of course, as I mentioned at the beginning, if you want to listen to an extra bonus episode, you can find that on patreon.com slash man eaters. It is there for anyone who is a, a Patreon supporter. Um, you can do that for as little as five bucks a month, all the way up to 20 bucks a month. Or if you want, you can Venmo me $500,000 and I'll just retire. I could probably retire on $500,000 for like a couple of years. That'd be great. Who wants to sponsor me? I will suck your dick. No, okay, I'll stop. Okay, thank you for listening. I'm just going to plug my little uh, uh, social media accounts really quickly, guys. Um, so, if you would like to reach out or send me any advice or uh, suggestions for the Scratch of the Day or stories we should cover, you can do so at uh, maneaterspod at gmail.com. Reach out to us on facebook.com slash maneaterspod or uh, maneaterspodcast on Instagram. Or you can follow me personally, Jimothy Chaps, on Instagram as well. If you're really cool, I might follow you back, but I probably won't. Have a fantastic rest of your day, everybody. I will see you in a week with another episode of Man Eaters. Stay safe out there because as we've learned... It's a jungle out there.